0: Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, it's been a heavy week in the province of Alberta, sort of kickstarted by Premier Danielle Smith's policy announcements on uh, trans youth in schools, pronouns, parental rights, sex ed, trans women in sport. And people are asking questions like, are are children really undergoing gender reassignment surgeries? Are kindergarten students really being taught queer ideology? Are teachers really instructed to keep secrets from parents about their kids? This is a fact check edition of the Real Talk Roundtable.
1: This is a relay project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: We promise you in every single episode of Real Talk that we're going to have real conversations about real issues that affect real people. And today is the embodiment of that commitment coming up in just one minute. We're going to take on policy announcements made by Alberta Premier Danielle Smith just a few days before we're recording this episode. Policies that will dramatically change in Alberta What is expected of teachers and school administrators when students wish to change pronouns or their names at school? Policies that will change sex ed, how it's delivered, how it's approved, who it's taught to and policies that could change the foundation or the landscape of sports in Alberta as well. We've got three expert guests that are going to spend the next 45 to 60 minutes with us talking about their lived experience, their professional experience, and of course taking your questions as emailed into the show. We've never seen so many emails over a 48 hour period as well as what happens on our live chat today i expect robust conversation on our youtube live chat we want to thank you for being here this episode is happening with the support of our friends at rello who have a very simple question For those of you that are watching or listening right now, have you been dreaming about starting a new career, Uh, being your own boss, running a thriving business, and most importantly, maybe leaving that cubicle life behind? If you want all that and unlimited earning potential, sounds good, a career in real estate might be your perfect match. The best way to get started is by enrolling with RELO. That's R-E-L-O. Rello's Alberta's top real estate school, and they wanna support you every single step of the way, from studying for your exam to getting your license, and even beyond that. Plus, with RELO, you study 100% online, which means it works guaranteed with your own schedule. And there's a great opportunity for Real Talkers right now because you heard about it on this show. You can save 20% off any Rello course by using the promo code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK, when you visit rello.ca. Hannah Hodgson uh, was born in Alberta, has lived in British Columbia and Ontario uh, most recently when she was working as a senior staffer for then conservative leader Erin O'Toole. She is the first openly trans candidate for the federal uh, conservatives running in Victoria in the 2021 federal election. Hannah's joining us here in studio, making her Real Talk debut. It's so nice to have you here. Thanks for making time for us.
2: Thanks for having me. Uh,
0: Jason Schilling is the president of the Alberta Teachers Association. We appreciate you making time for us. Welcome to the Real Talk studio.
3: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. Dr. Kate Greenaway will be familiar to Real Talkers who tuned into our episode on September 13th of 2023, where we learned about her work for more than 20 years working with trans and non-binary patients in uh, gender-affirming healthcare. She operates the Foria Clinic. Dr. Greenaway joining us uh, today from Toronto. Welcome back to the show, Doctor. It's good to see you. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Um, we envisioned a conversation here that's candid and free-flowing. I want to ask uh, all three of you a very simple question, and and maybe this will take our entire hour together, but that was when you saw Daniel Smith's policy announcement, when you saw the video, what was the first thing that you were thinking about, Hannah? Uh,
2: oh, this is coming now. This is unfortunate. Uh, you know, we saw her praise a certain American governor, and this is uh, shades of that. You're talking uh, about Ron DeSantis? Yes. Uh, you know, she said those kind of things. So I expected something like this to come. I, I did expect uh, in the vein of Saskatchewan or New Brunswick to focus on, on schools. What I did not expect is the uh, sort of complete uh, erasure of the ability of of, of trans youth to access uh, services that sets us significantly back. I mean, we would be the, the hardest, harshest jurisdiction in the country by a, a lot. Uh, with these measures coming into place and that's going to hurt uh, trans kids and also hurt their families and hurt many more people.
0: Uh, Dr. Greenaway, you're nodding as Hannah's talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, what of what Hannah's saying is particularly resonating with you.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think this uh, makes Alberta stand out in a very um, unhappy way. I it's the first time we've seen medical procedures uh, targeted in this way for trans youth. So my reaction to the announcement was just despair and anger, I would say. Um, I think it's, it's quite challenging to uh, approach this from a kind and curious perspective. Um, this is a policy change that goes against uh, medical consensus internationally, in Canada and actually consensus in the US. So uh, in the medical world, it's quite upsetting to
0: see okay we're going to follow up on that um, I, I know that a lot of people are seeking clarity on on what what medical services are actually being provided to trans youth I've heard people talk about how there maybe is some obfuscation or some red herrings in this policy so Dr. Greenaway and Hannah we'll get both of you to confirm that but I, I want to make sure we get to Jason here obviously you're going to approach this uh, as a citizen but mm-hmm. also through an education lens as president of the ATA what were your first thoughts when you saw the video
3: you know when I first saw the video I was I was actually quite upset by it and uh, struggled to, um, to keep my composure for a little bit because what I was seeing—I couldn't believe that these are these are the measures that are being put forth in in a province I I grew up in. It was it was unbelievable. Then when you put on you know your teacher lens or my my role as association president. It really concerns me deeply about how um, this puts a lot of jeopardy in for our most vulnerable students that we see in school. Teachers work and school leaders, principals work day in and day out to ensure that schools are a safe, caring place for all students. And this greatly jeopardizes that and it puts teachers in a precarious situation that uh, they didn't ask for.
0: There's kind, of a, there's kind of a weird thing that happens when there's a lot of talk about so-called parents' rights movement or, or parental rights uh, legislation. And that is, and I see it in the comments, uh, we had a, a poll that I put out yesterday that absolutely took off. And I'm going to read you the results of that poll the, in, in the course of this roundtable. But the comments, I mean, the replies, I actually had to mute the replies so I could continue to go about my day. And that is that people are pitting parents against teachers as though, number one. A lot of the teachers aren't parents. And and number two is, though and I see it, teachers are this this unionized force uh, trying to implement queer ideology to vulnerable youth. And then it just gets nastier and nastier from there. How is your membership responding to this?
3: You know, it, it's, it's interesting because I also have had to mute my social media comments because uh, there's only so much. You can be called a groomer and a pedophile in the course of a day before you just sort of want to give up. Um, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that there is this division that is trying, people are trying to drive this wedge between teachers and parents because I've worked as am I'm, I'm in year 27 of being an, a teacher in this province and parents are key and pivotal. To making sure that students are successful at schools and we work really hard to make those relationships so that uh, if students run into some sort of difficulties that we're able to help the student be successful and so when I hear what I see what I've, I've seen on the internet about the things that are being taught in schools it, there, a lot of it is lies and misinformation and it's unfortunate that uh, a lot of people are, uh, are falling for that.
0: Hannah, can, can we get personal? Would you, mm-hmm. would you tell us about your own personal journey? You, you, you were born in Grand Prairie. Did mm-hmm. you grow up in that city? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so you Grand went Prairie. to school in that mm-hmm. city, the whole nine yards. Um, at, at what point did you know? How old were you when you knew that you were trans?
2: I think uh, genuinely in yeah. my 30s. In your 30s? Um, well, I think looking back, I mean, I'm 36 now. Uh, there just wasn't visibility. When I was a a teenager, I wouldn't have known what that was. I mean, I had feelings and, you know, uncomfortable with puberty and caused a lot of psychological issues, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't really, and it wasn't until I was an adult that I really, was, oh, that's what what everything was. (laughs) That makes so much sense now. But that's why I think it's so important to have these things in the curriculum, to have people visible in the community, to show people that, oh, your feelings are valid. And this is, you know, much more i think the visibility increase and the acceptability increase i mean this is the backlash we're seeing now unfortunately and like i had to i haven't muted my responses yet but i I mean i have had the same things you know called those things and it's really really scary sometimes and really unfortunate
0: your school experience coming from elementary or or junior high school or high school did did you feel supported in 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 the areas that you would have understood that you needed support at that time
2: yeah I mean I mean in the 90s in Grand Prairie it it wasn't really the the you know mental health or or different uh things available I had an okay I upgrade my parents are great um but you know as a you know then presenting you know feminine T- short boy it was not always the best and i always joke that you know the, the people who kept calling me a girl for years when i was in school now if i say i well yeah yeah i am they're like well no you're not now you can't be <laughs> it's like well make up your mind a little bit but yeah so i i assume it i hope it's better now i know it's better now for 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 kids especially gender non-conforming kids which I mean hence this backlash they don't want it some people don't want it to be better and they want to bring us back
0: dr everyone's journey is different obviously um, in, in your practice uh, maybe, maybe we should clarify I mean I want to I want to refer people back to your appearance on real talk that was September 13th when you last joined us and and you take us through the you know the scope of your practice and, and why you believe it's important uh, you talked to us one of the things that struck me back in September when we spoke is you said you believe that politicians and the public have too much of a say uh, when it comes to gender affirming health care and, and now boy in follow-up isn't that interesting? interesting but maybe you can talk about can we even say your average patient's journey or do we have to acknowledge that everybody gets to where they're at at different times in their life
1: yeah i do think it's difficult to uh categorize the average patient journey and i think um being a family physician i have the pleasure of seeing people everywhere in their lifespan, right? So I do see young people. I see people that come to me in middle age. I see people that come to me as older adults. So certainly I have a real range of experience in seeing people through different parts of their journeys. Um, As I said last time, I think my fear about um, political signaling around uh, healthcare policies is that Uh, Politicians don't generally have the medical knowledge or experience that we do as physicians in terms of diagnosing, treating, and really understanding, um, you know, all of the context of our patients, families, and communities. So it's really challenging um, when you have a political leader trying to feed to you as a physician what you are able and what you're expected to do with your patients. I I think is inappropriate. And as physicians, um, we spend a lot of time, like physicians, researchers, um, experts in this field, spend a lot of time thinking about what guidelines are and why they are, right? And as an example, um, internationally, we're governed by the WPATH, which is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. Um, We are governed by those guidelines. And the most recent guideline took about seven years to produce and that was because there was real digging in by everyone to sort of think about what is the context internationally how can we best support what is what is the medical evidence that we have and how can we apply it to both our adolescent patients and our adult patients Um, so you know you're not going to see that in-depth work done by a political party
0: uh it, it's it's a tough conversation for us to have because really and i've seen some people some, some audience members describe this as an omnibus bill now i want to be clear it's not a bill for starters no. we're not talking about legislation yet uh we're talking about policies and there is a difference on enforceability and, and and what that means from the government and the onus on people like teachers associations like sporting organizations and the like uh, but the point Stands, and that is with Omnibus. There's a whole bunch of stuff in here. So, we're talking about sex ed for like gay, straight, trans, queer kids, right? We're, we're talking about uh, pronouns and parents. Uh, we're talking about ad- access to surgery and gender therapies. We're talking about sports. We're talking about a whole ton of stuff. So, this conversation can go all over the map. I wanted to introduce this email from Cyril. Uh, Cyril wrote in to talk at RyanJesperson.com, says, I'm getting really frustrated by all the coverage on this story. And here's something I think needs to be brought to everybody's attention. This feels like one of those government omnibus bills to help get garbage laws passed without appropriate review. Um, And here, this is over to you, Dr. Greenaway. Cyril says the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta provides guidance on informed consent for minors and who can provide consent for a child, which are already parents and guardians. There's no concept of uh, there is the concept of mature minors. And according to the policy, generally courts think. 16 years of age is a threshold uh, for maturity. N- none recognize uh, younger than 14. The more serious the proposed treatment, the greater the level of maturity required. A majority, if not all, of what the premier mentioned with respect to gender assignment surgery, uh, and and this is, I would say, in the contents uh, or the the comments and the replies, uh, probably uh, the most contentious part of this. There's a lot of talk about. I'm going to be honest, like genital mutilation and castration and people invoking all kinds of things. You know, someone someone wrote in to say if a child felt like they should be an amputee, would we give them permission to lop off a leg? I'm going like, where is this conversation even going? But back to Cyril's email says this is already the law of the province. Sixteen is where the courts would consider a mature minor if it ever came to it. But but I would have to read legislation to see what's all black and white. Twitter and news conferences are not the law. But interestingly enough, the surgery part of the conversation is is likely what polls as the most popular because it's the most permanent, but it's redundant because of existing legislation. Cyril says now the government's adding education and the sports piece to it. These are much more contentious, maybe nuanced. But by bundling it with the existing surgeries law disingenuously, I'm afraid that Albertans will begrudgingly accept the so-called omnibus policy Mm -hmm. out of ignorance and silence uh, conversation on the new education and sport policies that are proposed. That from Cyril. Uh, Dr. Greenway, can you shed some light here in this area?
1: Yeah. And I think earlier you did uh, bring up the concept of red herrings in this, in this bill or not, sorry, in this policy proposal. Um, I think that there is, um, the policy is taking advantage of fascination with Trans people's bodies, unfortunately. And I think this is uh, an inappropriate focus when people spend a lot of time talking about trans people, asking trans people what their bodies are like. And I think that's already, as if any of you know any adolescents or have been an adolescent, it's already a really uncomfortable moment in your life to talk about your body. And so to be put under the microscope in this way um, to talk about what's happening with your body is already really unpleasant. But uh, I with a lot of what Cyril is saying in that um, there is quite uh, good or, you know, existing legislation, at least, around what it means to have capacity to make a medical decision. Um, and there is regional governance about this, right? So each, each region or province will have its own kind of determination of how someone uh, reaches, whether there's an age of consent or a measure Um, of someone's capacity to make medical decisions. So as medical providers, we actually do have training in how to understand consent and capacity uh, in these circumstances. So so I do agree, this is a bit of a misleading part of uh, the policy proposal in that physicians, healthcare providers are already managing consent and capacity in this this realm. Um, And it, it isn't the case for most people that they are entering into a medical relationship independently most people that are under the age of 16 let's say are entering in with a guardian right um or they have some involvement with a guardian of some sort so i i agree that this is um this is a red herring but i actually do think it's meant to signal and kind of Get group participation around this fascination with trans people's bodies and medical procedures very inappropriately in this case.
0: Hannah, mm-hmm. you look like you want to jump in.
2: Yeah, I think one thing I wanted to mention, first of all, just to be very clear, existing rules already preclude things like bottom surgery from anyone who is under eighteen. That 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 is already the rules and that is already the law. So this this that wouldn't change anything. They're using it like they're they're presenting it as a problem when it really isn't. And I think one of the things to, you know, put a fine point on it is that people don't see the difference, understand the difference between sex and gender. And because of that, they see gender as just, you know, what's in your pants. And so when someone says, you know, like, well, my seven-year-old is, I have a trans, you know, seven-year-old, like, that just means like maybe they have long hair and you call them a different name. But in the people's minds, it's, well, you're doing something to your seven-year-olds. Like that's horrible. And it, to be clear, it would be, but that's not happening. Those things aren't happening. The treatments aren't, that aren't the treatments. And so nothing medical even possibly happens until puberty and then it's puberty blockers maybe. Like these things aren't, they're being overblown to present us a reality that isn't happening.
0: I can't tell you how many comments we got on our Twitter posts yesterday uh, asking why I personally want to see little boys have their penises chopped off. Like hundreds of comments. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Greenaway, can, can you give us an idea of like maybe you can take us through. Like let's say a a family brings their 7-year-old to your clinic, to to the Foria clinic. Um and the 7-year-old believes that they are or knows that they're trans and the parents are supportive. Like what resources there? And I'm talking healthcare. What resources are available to the 7-year-old? And then when the 7-year-old's 13 and then when this and then when they're like 16, can, can you talk to us about what does happen? What's not happening? Can, can, can you clarify here? Can we fact check this?
1: Sure. And I will just start by clarifying that uh, currently with Foria in Alberta, we are seeing people that are over 18. That's I see. Like a capacity issue. Um, but certainly in my career, I spent a lot of time with, with families. Um, so... Basically, when you're looking at pediatric guidelines, again, which are, you know, the Canadian Pediatric Society, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and WPATH, um, when you're talking about young people, so under, you know, pubertal age, really what we're doing um, as healthcare providers is creating a space for people to talk about what's happening for them, right, and what this means, and what it means to kind of help this family or this individual you know, have conversations, kind of understand how to negotiate school and relationships. That is it. It is a supportive environment. And we may be the first supportive person they've spoken to where they can have an open conversation about what this looks like in their family, how they address this with family members, how they talk about it as a family. Um, And that that is our role, you know, and we may be connecting families with other families who have similar experiences you know, connecting to therapists who may be able to do family therapy—it's supportive, right? There isn't um, there isn't medical intervention at that stage, and I think as as Hannah said, the medical intervention that does happen the soonest, possibly, if this is something um, that the that the child is is seeking or concerned about, is puberty blockers. Now these. Um, are medications that are administered to the child as they are in an earlier stage of puberty. And what it does is it pauses things. The role of this is to give that child or adolescent time to understand themselves more. We already know that young adolescence is a really confusing time. So if you pause some of the physical changes that are very distressing to them, it gives them a little bit of space to reflect on who they are and what they need and what kind of supports they need moving forward. So that is really the only intervention that might even be taken at a younger age
0: well what would be the youngest i mean we were talking about top surgery to clarify we're talking about breast surgery right and and let me also point out somebody made a great point to us the other day that that uh, you know minors in other words like 16 17 year olds with parental consent obviously sometimes on the advice of doctors uh, have breast reduction surgeries that have nothing to do with 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 gender uh this those surgeries i guess have happened in past are those surgeries happening with young people are there bottom surgeries happening with people under the age of 18 that do have parental consent like what's actually happening I I think millions of people actually want to know but they don't know who to ask and we've got you here on the show
1: (laughs) sure so yeah so the bottom surgery I agree with what Hannah said this is not a surgery that takes place early it's it's a surgery that takes place after at 18 or older and it takes place after um, someone has Undergone hormonal transition for quite some time. So, this isn't something that is decided on a whim, and it takes quite a long time actually to get approval and to be referred for surgery. Um, you know, one of the things I've learned uh, with our work in Alberta is that there actually is quite a backlog of surgery approvals and referrals in the province already, like many regions and many provinces across the country. Uh, so, it's not something that you're accessing quickly. It's going to take you years, honestly, to get through that process. And you're not starting that process until you're 18, most likely. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and you're not having a surgery before 18. So that is, that is certainly a red herring. I agree. In terms of um, other surgeries, again, like this is not um, surgery that's easy to access for anyone in Alberta. Adults adults even have difficulty accessing chest surgery or you might call chest masculinization, um, because there is actually a real backlog and there are not a lot of, uh, surgeons available to provide this type of surgery. So even if you wanted it as an adult, it it may be difficult to get, um, in terms of young people under the age of 18, you know, it, it, it is not common. It would depend on the region. Um, and I would say in Ontario, I have a little bit more experience seeing young people wanting to apply for that. But again, the youngest would be 16 or 17 that are seeking it. And those are sort of individual cases that you're thinking about, right, in terms of how much distress this person is experiencing and whether, you know, they do need something um, to help them kind of cope in the world. So, and I agree with what you said, Ryan, is that some people – are seeking things like breast reductions at those age because of distress right so this this might be an individual case but it 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 certainly wouldn't be common um and i don't i don't have the experience that you know this is happening in alberta
0: Okay, Um, I got an interesting email from an audience member named Anna, uh, who says, I'm actually really happy to see these policies being implemented. Anna says, as a trans woman, I watched Daniel Smith's video announcing Alberta's new policies, and I was so pleased to hear that they will be recruiting an Alberta based surgeon. Uh, Albertans currently traveling to Quebec, says Alberta's premier, Uh, says Anna. So the potential for me needing to go all the way to Quebec for a medically necessary surgery is gone. Bravo to the premier on this announcement. What would you say to add? Is it a valid point?
2: No, I think that the premier in that video specifically kind of tried to use that as a massage. Like, you know, it's like, but, you know, I'm not going to, you know, more and more access for me. I'm not going to sell out the trans youth. But for second of all, it's not going to happen. Many hospitals in many provinces have sought doctors with that expertise, and it's very difficult. The reason it's only in Quebec is there's basically one clinic and one person who does it. The, there's not many people in the world who do bottom surgery, and even let, I think less to do phalloplasty. And so there's just it, they can say that, but unless they're willing to shell out huge, which I think is we see our healthcare system, they're not willing to do that. Huh. So I don't hmm. see this even happening. Like the the problem with access to trans care is that it's not that it's too easy; it's that it's too hard. You know, like it's years. Like as an adult in my 30s, it took me years to even get my first intake appointment. Like these things are not available these things are not happening on a whim so yeah i just think it's not it's 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 not gonna happen um Jason, I do,
1: can i just yeah i please just wanted do. to you know a little bit because i i just do want to um mm-hmm. add that there actually are surgeons uh in bc and ontario who do bottom surgeries it's not it's not just mm-hmm. quebec um but uh there still is an access issue. And many people are going to Montreal to see the group of surgeons who practice there. Um, One thing I will say about the surgery announcement is that I think it's fairly hard to imagine uh, myself as a surgeon thinking I'd like to move to Alberta where they've created all these really restrictive policies that signal that we are okay about discriminating, discriminating against trans people. I should probably go there to be a surgeon. Like to me, that would be, uh, not, not my immediate response.
0: Yeah. I, that, that was one of the same things I was thinking. I, I want to know we did hear um, from an Alberta based surgeon. Um, and, and I sure appreciate them reaching out. They, they said to us, we, we do provide care and surgery, uh, for trans and non-binary patients, uh, said not willing or interested in doing an interview uh, they said because we've already got a big target painted on our back, but that surgeon made himself available for. Off the record, off camera conversation to help this show better understand the issues. So I sure appreciate that. But boy, was that ever an enlightening comment, um, Jason. We don't mean to leave you sitting here. We're going to talk right. about sex ed uh, in just a second. Uh, the parental rights, the the the, um, the pronoun thing. Uh, but I do want to get to this, and this is actually from a teacher. It's an email from a teacher. But I'm but I'm most curious to hear from Dr. Greenaway on this, and then we'll open it up. Uh, this is from Jillian, who says uh, I was listening to a renowned child psychologist in Britain uh, talking about how the issues of trans youth should be one for child medical professionals not be politicized well that ship has truly sailed jillian Mm -hmm. says so the point remains very valid to me anyway that folks making decisions on the treatment of children should be experts who have the child's best interest at heart there's too much uh, too many special interest groups trying to pull one way or another for political reasons in the same way that abortion should be between a woman and her doctor any treatment a trans child might need should come down to the child and parents informed and supported by psychologists child psychologists in particular and pediatricians uh, groups like Take Back Alberta, as well as LGBTQ2S plus groups need to take a big step back. She says, in my view, they're both guilty of politicizing kids, using them as pawns, which has gotten us to an awful place where politicians like Danielle Smith can take advantage. Jillian says, anyway, my question for your expert panel is about puberty blockers. When I was listening to this child psychologist there was mention of a seldomly discussed issue and that is that puberty blockers although they of course stop the development of secondary sexual characteristics like breasts in girls the brain continues to develop or go through puberty if and I'm understanding this correctly the teen body and brain can end up developing in an uh in an asic how do i say that word there's no centric. Asynchronous. 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 (laughs) That doesn't happen every day. Thanks, Doc. I owe you a beer. Uh, Jillian says, I know experts would discuss all the pros and cons with trans patients and their parents, but I'm asking this because until I heard the psychologist speak, I wasn't aware that puberty blockers can affect the teen body and brain in different ways. I think it's actually scary if a child's body can be stopped from undergoing puberty, but the the brain still goes as normal. It suggests to me the need for a lot of psychological support with transitioning kids, helping them rewire or re Reconnect body and brain because it's a big deal that I don't feel is being talked about enough. She says, I wonder if anyone on your panel can address this. Kate?
1: I think that's a bit of a confusing question. So let's just uh, back up. So basically what puberty blockers do is they change the signaling um, in the brain that is a uh, signaling for those hormones to get formed or released and create the secondary sexual characteristics. So the things we think about um, that may indicate to us that we are appearing as uh, let's say more masculine features or more feminine features. Um, certainly when I'm speaking with parents and you know adolescents about this treatment, the major topics they want to talk about are what happens to the brain. And what happens to the bones? Because this is what they're hearing the most about um, in parent groups or when they're doing research. And there's still a lot of ongoing research about bones, and that is something people are very interested in, in bone development. And, um, you know, that is an ongoing area of study in terms of how bone development catches up. In terms of brain development, I would say... um, like I, I think I. What I don't understand about the question is: is are, are we wondering if the brain is still having hormonal signals that are separate from, and the body is not, which is which is not how I would describe the process, right? The hormonal signals um, are are being suppressed by the puberty blockade across the board, right? Is an adolescent still having experiences and aging, right? Are they still learning things about themselves and their environment? Like absolutely, their brain is still changing. They're an adolescent, and they're growing every day. Um, but I have trouble kind of understanding what, like, that the hormonal milieu is different in the brain than in the mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that is the case, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, certainly one thing I would say is that we do encourage adolescents uh, to have lots of support, you know, whether they're undergoing puberty suppression or not in terms of kind of understanding themselves and understanding the process. And in this specific circumstance, understanding how their own gender identity is developing and changing over time. Um, So if, if the question is, are you supporting people and are you helping them get you know, psychological support around all these these changes and the decisions they have to make. Then, yeah, absolutely, we are. Um, but I, I I don't think I can say that the brain is undergoing changes that are uh, that are different than the body, although. Obviously, as adolescents, brains are changing significantly.
0: I appreciate you taking that question and I, and I appreciate uh, Jillian submitting it. Uh, that's Dr. Kate mm-hmm. Greenaway. If you're just joining us, uh, maybe listening live on the Mixler audio app, streaming audio courtesy of California Closets. Uh, Dr. Kate Greenaway from Foria Clinic. We've got a doctor. Uh, rather,
3: do you have your PhD, Jason no, no, Schilling? But I'll, I'll take the doctor.
0: Yeah, J- Jason <laughs> Schilling, still a big deal, doctor or not. Uh, <laughs> president of the Alberta Teachers Association in your third term, right? Yes. Right on. And uh, Hannah Hodgson, um, uh, former uh, federal political staffer of Erin O'Toole's, former conservative leader and a candidate, uh, the first openly trans candidate for uh, the conservatives uh, back in 2021 in Victoria, B.C. Uh, I want to ask you a political question after this. I don't know if you saw the scoop from the Globe and Mail. Did you see this? Marika Walsh breaking the story. Uh, a leaked email shows yeah. that uh, conservative MPs, uh, the federal MPs have been instructed to not comment on Alberta's transgender policies uh, and to prioritize parental rights we'll get into the politics of this and then i want to talk sex ed with you jason um because i think this is another i mean that this whole omnibus type idea like and we haven't even talked about sports yet um so there's a whole lot of ground to cover on this real talk round table and it's happening with the support of Real Talk partners like Athabasca University. They're always learning at Athabasca University. That's Canada's open university with world-class accredited online degrees and courses designed so you can complete your education wherever and whenever it works for you, whether it's an undergraduate degree. Maybe you've been dreaming, promising yourself you're going to go get that MBA. They've got a great MBA program there. If you're a researcher, if you want to work in HR or AI or any of the other areas where you see a bright future in the job market, open your options with the online offerings at Athabasca University. They've got more than 50,000 program and course alumni from over 100 countries. More than 90% of them say they're working in a job related to their field of study. How amazing is that? Our friends at Friesen Brothers have 16 locations across the province of Alberta, and you know that. But here, I want to show you something. This is video captured by my intrepid life partner, my wife, Carrie Skelton, yesterday. This is a local reference. For those of you anywhere near Alberta's capital city, this is the traffic circle on 142nd and 107th Avenue. The sign is up. The Friesen Brothers sign is up on what will be their 17th location. We don't know exactly when it's going to open. They're targeting the spring. It's going to be soon and we can't wait. I'm going to tell you all about it. I want to let you know they've got a hiring fair going on right now. If you'd like to work at that location, Friesen Brothers Hiring Fair goes this afternoon. And uh, Of course, this is a great opportunity for anybody that would love to work at a family owned institution. It's at the North Glenora Community Hall today from 2:30 to 6. Good luck to all the job seekers out there. Our friends at Complete Care Restoration obviously know how bad it sucks to deal with something like burst pipes, flooding, Drain backups, fire, black mold, asbestos. I'm getting anxiety just talking about it. But can we all agree that's not the type of thing you want to take on yourself? They provide comprehensive care and complete peace of mind, whether it's hazardous material material removal or getting your home or business back to even better better than it was before disaster struck, we recommend that you trust Complete Care Restoration. And speaking of job seekers, if you're an electrician, if you're an apprentice, if you're a salesperson, office manager, if you work in HR and you'd love to be part of Canada's green energy future our friends at kubi renewable energy are hiring they've got offices in kamloops lethbridge calgary edmonton lots of options and you'll work across western canada if that's what you want to do you can check out the careers link at kubyenergy.ca. they're young they're growing and they're reshaping the energy portfolio in canada Hanging out with Hannah Hodgson, Jason Schilling, and Dr. Kate Greenaway. Interesting story in The Globe and Mail. Uh, Marika Walsh, a senior political reporter out of Ottawa, uh, based on a leaked email reporting that uh, Pierre Polyev's office has instructed their MPs not to comment on Alberta transgender policies. Hannah, you got a lot of experience on Parliament Hill. Uh, you made your living there for many years, and you know conservative politics inside out. Are you surprised by this? What do you make of it?
2: No, not at all. In fact, I was I was sure this had happened. even before the story came out, um, this is seemingly this is exactly the thing they would have done because I know there is discontent. There is division in the in the party on this. I'm I'm sure there are MPs who are very unhappy and want to speak out and ones that are very happy and want to speak out. And I think that the federal party is always nervous about those things so that it doesn't surprise me um, because I'm sure they're having a lively discussion in caucus right now. Um, they're probably not going to get involved just because it's provincial, but I, there are strong opinions. Um, there are people who would want them to do this federally and people who would fight against that t- completely
0: Can you see uh, the federal conservatives making promises like this parental rights type promises next election campaign
2: they're going to talk about parental rights there's going to be the term parental rights in the platform i'm i'm very confident um as to a specific policy i don't i think it's going to be some nebulous thing like you know we will stand up for parental rights because ultimately not much of this is federal jurisdiction unless they're going to use the criminal code but that would be a, a big thing Uh, So, yeah, I think they're going to talk about it. They're going to make it a, 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 a messaging platform of the campaign, I suspect, especially in certain communities, especially for fundraising. This is huge for fundraising. The conservative fundraising numbers came out the other day. This probably is driving a significant amount of it. People who are very upset about these issues donate money. And that's what a lot of this is about.
0: Hmm. Well, Jason, you as, as a president of the Alberta Teachers Association, when you hear that phrase parental rights, I never know. To be honest with you, when I'm when I'm tweeting about it, I don't know if I should put it in quotes or not, uh, because it seems to it's, it's a very polarizing phrase. Yeah. Cause like I'm a parent and um, I believe that obviously parents uh, play a, a hugely important role in a child's development and child rearing, even saying it out loud sounds so obvious, but I've seen many people suggest well, parents don't necessarily have rights. Parents have responsibilities. When you hear the phrase, what does it invoke in you?
3: Well, I just, what you said there that it's, you know, there's rights and there's responsibilities and everybody has a, a level of both. And so I think when we are talking about, these issues. And I I think I'm just learning a ton here tonight, this morning. And so uh, I appreciate everything that is being said. One of the things that I've heard, and when we talk about this parental rights is sort of the unattended consequences from this conversation. Um, We're hearing from from Kate and from Hannah about uh, uh, decisions or policy decisions that are being made um without consultation prior to these decisions being announced and as I'm listening to these incredibly smart people here today, I'm thinking wouldn't it have been great if government had consulted around these issues before they made announcements and so now we're we're in this this sort of backtracking how do we fix this how do we we push back against these these measures that are being per you know, proposed what options so that they're are not, so they're not, uh, so they're not uh, being, uh, you know, harmful to people
0: when you're talking about pushing back, uh, what options do you have? I mean, it ultimately in, in your world comes down to the education minister and what the education minister says goes, isn't that how it works? Well, I mean, are we talking about I, a, a wildcat strike? Are we talking, I mean,
3: well, no, I mean, you wouldn't, I don't think you would go that far, but I mean, teachers can push back in terms of, uh, looking at, uh, talking with the minister about these measures and seeing how they, they think they're going to work in schools. I think there's also other groups that can advocate for um, the benefit of education as well. I mean, you have a, a parent council out there, you have school board councils and associations that are also going to be affected by these rules that come down.
0: Hmm. Um, I want to get to this poll that we put out uh, yesterday. It's uh, very interesting uh, what occurred. And, uh, you know, we oftentimes uh, all times. So when we roll these out, Johnny, don't we, we say these are unofficial unscientific Twitter polls. I never present these as having credibility like Janet Brown or, or Axios or, you know, whoever may have. Um, but uh, we put it out yesterday. Alberta will limit gender transition therapy. Surgeries for minors require pre-approval for all curriculum taught in opt in sex ed and ban trans women from competing in women's sporting divisions, we simply asked, how do you feel about these policies? You support it all. You support parts of it. You don't support any of it. Or you have questions. Um, 8,934 votes. We'll call it 9,000 votes. 63% say, I support it all. 31% say, I don't support any of it. Uh, about 5% say they support parts of it. And about 2% say that they have questions now everybody's got their opinion on our polls at the beginning of the poll for the first couple of hours uh when it said i don't support any of it and about 66 percent were there everyone said well jasperson your followers are a bunch of lefties and what do you expect it's a bunch of communists and pedophiles and groomers and of course they don't support it and then when people realized how open polling works and that they can share my poll with their friends and people started sharing it with their networks then all of a sudden the trend shifted and then all of a sudden the criticism changed and and those same critics earlier said all of a sudden, aha, well, now we see the truth. Now the poll is worth what it's worth, which is probably not much, but it does goes to show uh, a couple of things in my mind. And number one, that is, is that the issue's not cut and dried and not everybody disagrees with the premier's policies. That's very evident. And number two, I thought it was kind of like a metaphor for politics, Hannah, because the people that got most involved in the poll, the people that shared it the most, the people that worked the hardest to influence the poll, did influence the poll. And that's kind of how politics works.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is who's on electoral district association boards. It's the most extreme people, generally retired people who um, maybe have nothing else to do Um, on on, on all parties, basically. I mean, generally, I think the conservatives, especially in rural Alberta, probably have it significant worse. But I mean, that divide, you say, I mean, is, is, I mean, I'm sure there are conservative MPs in Edmonton right now whose writings are provincially NDP, who are not happy because it's going to blow back on them and their communities vote overwhelmingly provincially NDP. And so they're probably thinking, I'm not going to name anyone, but people can probably think of who I'm talking about, are probably thinking, what do we do?
0: Well, why don't you name them? It's a talk show. I mean, I think of I think of <laughs> there, there are moderate conservative MPs yeah, I in mean, the city I of Edmonton of- right now. James Cumming is not an MP. He has been. He's just declared he's back in for Edmonton Center. This makes his row a little tougher to hoe. That's going to yeah. be dynamite riding. I'm thinking of guys like Matt Jenner, who thinking- are moderate conservatives, who I know to be an empathetic and good man. Uh, okay. who probably doesn't love this.
2: Matt Jenner was one I was thinking of, and I even think of, uh, you know, Timbal's riding on the east side, and then, like, even Kelly McCauley uh, yeah. on the west side, I think less so, but... And then you look at even writings like, you know, St. Albert, provi- federally, provincially NDP, and one of the most socially conservative federal... It's and crazy,
0: Marie Renaud, the MLA, and Michael Cooper, yeah. the MP. I've never been able to wrap my mind around how Saint yeah. Albert votes. Um, I wanted to get to this comment, and then over to you, yeah. Jason. Uh, there was, I think, it was Brent in our chat. Let me let me track back to it because Brent's calling out our panel, and I and I always say it's Brent who says, according to your poll, Ryan, it's very evident that most people agree with the premier. Uh, let me say this, Brent. I'll give you this. Not everybody disagrees with her for sure. Um, he says, and not your slanted guests. But why bring that up when you only have one? side of the conversation i mean number one brent bullshit uh because the premier comes on the show all the time we have conservative ministers all the time hannah worked for the federal conservative leader and was a conservative candidate in the last election, also happens to be a trans woman, so I dare you to go wall-to-wall with her and figure out who has a more informed perspective. Jason's the president of the Alberta Teachers Association, not some teacher from some school that I found that agrees with me, so he's on the show. He's the president of the association, and Dr. Kate Greenaway has been working in the field. She's a physician for more than 20 years. This is the attack on expertise. People don't like hearing the expert voices. We, of course, bring diverse voices on the show all the time. Just ask the lefties that get pissed off at me, and then the right-wing That get pissed off the very next day. It's how we roll. But Brent, I wanted to shine some light on your comment. Can we talk about sex ed? Because this is a whole different. This isn't just impacting trans youth or gay, bi, lesbian youth. This is affecting all young people. Sex ed now curriculum from third parties like sexual assault centers and the like uh, needs to run through the education minister's office before it can be presented in classrooms. Uh, not red tape reduction, if you ask me. And number two, now kids from kindergarten all the way up need to opt in Mm -hmm. to sex ed as opposed to opting out. Can you explain why that's significant?
3: Well, yeah, and I will agree. There's a certain irony that this was announced during red tape reduction week, because what this does is put a huge burden on schools and school principals in trying to, to navigate this. So right now in the Education Act, parents have the right to opt out of instruction on human sexuality. Uh, notice goes home parents can opt out as a teacher if i don't get notification from parents that uh, their student's not going to be part of the class then i just assume that everybody else is good and i move on with the course of my day Um, Teachers that I've talked to who teach human sexuality say often when they get um, a notice back that they don't want their child to be part of that instruction, they phone them and have a conversation about what is actually being taught during that lesson. And they say a lot of the times the parents are like, oh, okay, I didn't know that's what it was. Yeah, my child can take part of this instruction. Now, if you flip this to an opt-in. Um, I don't know. Everybody who's ever had a child who's had a field trip form will know that those field trip forms don't come into school in a timely manner. If I've ever had a field trip, I have 25 kids, I make 40 copies of that form so that I and they're always gone because kids always need other copies. So now you have an opt in program that teachers and schools now have to gather this information Um, If students don't get that in on time, then they're not part of that instruction and they miss out on really important information about um, the the course and what they need to know moving forward. And it's a way I think too, when you talk about uh, having resources approved by the ministry. Um, You know, when we, in my school where I come from rural Alberta, we usually have the health nurse come in to do the health, you know, that part of the, the calm course, the human sexuality part. So those courses by Alberta health services need to be approved by the government and the ministry. And so now I'm, I'm, you know, worried that we're going to start seeing some censorship around what materials can be brought into school. Um, we saw big protests, and I heard you, Ryan, talk about it in September around Soji One Two Three and those materials. This would be. A can you remind me what that is? Soji One Two Three is sort of a set of resources that schools can use in school to talk about. Um, sexual orientation, gender identity, human sexuality. They're age appropriate, they're grade appropriate, they're created by teachers across um, not only Alberta, but BC and other provinces. And that's a resource that schools can use. So all of this has to get approved um, by government where traditionally it's approved by school boards or teachers have autonomy to bring in resources to their classrooms that they feel are appropriate and that are, are grade and age appropriate for those students to learn from.
0: Can I ask, and, and I'm like picking and choosing here and being very selective, um, but you know, we've all sort of seen, and typically it's it's conservative politicians, isn't it Hannah, that tweet and post these photos of pamphlets that like allegedly their kid brought home from school, but but as the story always goes, it's like my grade three student brought home this pamphlet on like what blow jobs are or like what a glory hole is and then in BC we saw those ones you remember this of like my th- there's a pamphlet in schools of like how to smoke a crack pipe and then and then all of a sudden all the people that see these stories um whether they're valid or not whether they're real or not accurate or not are, are going teachers and, and educators are trying to teach our kids to like smoke crack and give each other blow jobs in grade three and and what the hell we got to jump in and there, there's there's really I think a lack of understanding of what's actually happening but how badly do those types of posts and and, and and that type of momentum behind them hurt the bigger movement of educating young people?
3: It's really detrimental because it's based on lies and misinformation. And I often we will say people will be like, well, I want to know what's being taught in school. Well, it's the curriculum. It's posted online. Um, if a parent is concerned about uh, something that might be taught in school, I always encourage them to phone the school. Phone the teacher. Have a conversation. Don't believe what you see posted on social media as the truth about what's going on because my experience tells me that that's just simply not true. Teachers are busy at school um, you know, dealing with large class sizes, uh, lack of supports for students with special needs, they're not, uh, they're not going on this daily, uh, gay agenda that I see people tweet about, you know, that's just simply not what's happening in schools right now. Hmm.
0: Uh, Dr. Greenaway on, on, the, the front of sex ed, um, and, and I'm just going to throw you like just a very general question cause I'm curious to see how you'll answer it, but, but how important is sex ed taught in schools? for young people. I saw somebody comment on my, on my post yesterday that just said, do you know what you call a girl whose parents made her skip sex ed pregnant? Talk to us about why you think sex ed is or is not important.
1: So I, as a parent and as a physician, definitely have found sex ed to be crucial for adolescents, um, like I said, both in my practice and in my household, because it's the first time um, I guess not just adolescents, but all kids going through school have the opportunity to ask questions of an adult in a safe environment um, where they feel like they are listened to and respected and they can get real answers that are truthful. Otherwise, they are going to their peers and they are going to the internet, uh, which, you know, can lead them to the correct answers. But Also may not. Um, And so as a professional, I have had a lot of uh, adolescent patients come in saying, you know, we talked about this in school and I need more information about X. So like that's a that's a crucial conversation starter for us as physicians
0: yeah i'm i'm uh i'm I'm reading from people we had a we had a commenter yesterday on the show say well kids can just go online they can just learn about it on the internet um if people want to hear my response to that we put it out uh by way of a a tiktok instagram reel and on twitter yesterday um where i suggest we'll have an entire generation of young people who learned everything they know from Pornhub, um and and obviously a lot of people are connecting with that
2: yeah yeah and not only just for, you know, sexual activity and, and knowing that, but we we know from data that teaching especially young kids about what body parts are and about consent helps prevent sexual abuse and helps bring abusers to justice because they can say, well, that's, you know, something What's happening to me is wrong. These things aren't just about how to do X, it's about your own agency and about your own body. And that's why these things are so important, especially for you know, young kids. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, go ahead, yeah, Jason. When I think,
3: too, I you know, go back to this conversation that we had for the last couple of years around curriculum development here in the province and making sure that we have the correct experts and teachers working on a new curriculum so that we are producing a curriculum around human sexuality and gender identity and sexual orientation that is has experts involved in creating that and sometimes what we saw in the, the development over the last couple of years is that we get people who are not very well versed in these topics helping to create curriculum, and I think that's something that uh, is part of the conversation that we don't always have a com. We don't yeah. always talk I mean, about. I more. will
2: say this: I was a political staffer. I would I would be in a. I worked in a minister's office. There's no world in which I should be overseeing education materials. Those are that's those are decisions for the experts, for teachers, for people developing. The curriculum so to say these things are going to be you know, run through the minister's office i mean that's just not going to result in good outcomes
3: mm. and i also question the timeliness of how they're going to get that done
0: can we say it's not going to be a top priority
3: well it might we be fair say to that say well i mean there's so many other things that uh, are are pressing issues in education right now I, that, you know i think uh, kate said it towards the top of our conversation here is. And You might have said it yesterday when I was listening to you is what is the problem that we're trying to fix here right Mm -hmm. now and why why are we expending all of this energy on something that has actually been working quite well um, not uh, why are we why are we doing this.
0: Bushrider is taking swipes at your fashion, Jason, on the live chat here. Bushrider says, oh, says the man wearing the rainbow brooch. Uh, let me What's describe. What's wrong with
1: rainbow brooch? There's Broaches? absolutely another. And, and
0: number one, it's a lapel pin. Uh, but it's but and say, it's, a, it's, it's a pin. A, for, for people on the uh, podcast, listening to the podcast, it's a beautiful bison uh, in pride colors. But uh, yeah, bush Bushrider's taking issue with your pin.
3: Well, that's fine. Um, it was gifted to me actually, um, from somebody from in the 2SLGBTQ plus community. Right. And, uh, I wear it with pride because we're here to support, um, the 2SLGBTQ community. We, we work with, uh, students every day. We have colleagues who belong to the community and they're safety is important to us and uh i wear this pin with pride and and if he doesn't like it well there's lots of other things that i don't like that i'll get to talk
0: about you you go find a pride crosswalk to to smoke (laughs) his tires on somewhere right it's like every you know those those folks are upset that that the gays hannah the 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 gays have hijacked the rainbow uh from the christians um but then i pointed out yesterday you know a lot of the christians are hijacking the my body my choice uh from the women's rights movement women's health so 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 there you go. Everybody's stealing everybody's material these days.
2: Yeah, and I just want to say to expand on that something that I think is important that hasn't really been said much in the coverage is that you know the premier kept saying choice in the video. You know, adults who make that choice. You know, we support adults who make that choice and going through the journeys. to kept saying choice. This is the same thing we heard about gay people in the '80s and '90s, and, and you know, these are the same things. And it, I wish, I honestly wish they some of these people would just be honest. That they just don't like trans people and that's what it's really about because if it is normal and valid then what there's no problem with a teen exploring their gender identity it's it it doesn't it doesn't those things don't aren't congruent so if there is nothing wrong with it and it is a completely normal valid as i i believe is that there the restrictions don't make any sense because they they but the, they see it as just, many people see it as just, it's a choice. Mm. It's a choice, you know, adults can make. It's like dyeing your hair pink or, you know, wearing a different color. It's like, well, yeah, adults make weird choices. But no, it, it's an immutable characteristic of who you are. We're going through the same thing over and over again. And we constantly have to fight for our legitimacy in society.
0: It feels like a good place to wrap it up. But we do have a tradition here on our Real Talk Roundtable where we ask each of our panelists to give our audience something to walk with, something to think about in the days to come. Uh, a closing statement, so to speak, could be one sentence, could be five uh, Jason, why don't you go first? Something for the audience to think about as they make their way through the weekend or into next week.
3: Well, I think as we start looking at these policies, and, and the premier yesterday had commented that they want to move this forward in the fall, is that we need to have deep consultation about the impacts of what the what these policies are are intending to do and just how they are going to harm um, our most vulnerable students in this this province. And I think we need to be on the right side of history with this. And uh, I think I would want people to really consider uh, what they're doing because we're, we're removing and attacking a group of rights from a group of people and attacking them. And my colleagues across this province want to ensure that our schools are safe spaces for every kid who walks in that building, that every kid knows that there's a safe adult in there for them to to trust if they are in any kind of jeopardy. And I think that as we go down sort of this division kind of wedge that is being driven on here. We need to push back on that. Thanks, Jason. Uh, Dr. Greenaway.
1: Yeah, I think what I would like to say that it is, as healthcare providers, like as a healthcare provider and speaking with my colleagues, we oppose these uh, proposed changes to our care that we can provide to people, and we see these proposed changes as a way to actually widen the gap and further marginalize uh, a population that is already facing extreme barriers to getting healthcare, but also to feeling safe in their communities.
0: Hannah, last word to you. There
2: are 12, 13, 14, 15 year old closeted trans people in Alberta right now, who are seeing their parents post on social media that Jason, I, Dr. Green, are pedo groomers who were thinking and they're thinking I can never talk to my parent like they'll hate me and now I can't talk to my teacher now what am I supposed to do and that's who I'm thinking about you know people can call me whatever they want I'm an adult I'm fine but the teens and the young people who are going to struggle with their identity and fear their fear for their safety that's who we need to be thinking about.
0: This is, if you look straight up right there, that's your camera. Can you look into that camera and talk to those 12 and 13 and 14 year olds?
2: I know it's scary. Um, you, you're, you think your parents may not support you and that may very well be true. Um, but there are people in this world who will support you and will love you. Find a cool school to go to, find cool places, but get through high school. Um I wish there could be more supports for you, but there aren't, get through high school and find a better future.
0: Beautifully said. Hannah, thank you for coming in to talk about your personal experience, your professional experience. That's Hannah Hodgson. You can find her on Twitter at HannahHodgson28. Dr. Kate Greenaway joining us from You uh, Clinic uh, in Toronto, a good friend of the show. Dr. Kate, thank you for making time for us we sure appreciate it. And Dr. Jason Schilling representing Albert. <laughs> I did it again. Yes. I did it again. What? What? Did I called him doctor again? Oh yeah. Do you get a do you get a raise from this? I'm gonna, have I, have I-
3: I'm gonna run with this honorary PhD like no one's business.
0: Maybe Real Talk needs to start handing out honorary PhDs. Just Jason Schilling. Just Jason. president. Of the alberta teachers association uh you know i'm the son of a teacher you know i'm the grandchild of a teacher i have so much respect uh for what you're the grandchild i should say of of the chair of a school board so uh but but a family of teachers Mm -hmm. um and uh i got a hell of a lot of respect for what they do uh you can learn more about what the alberta teachers association is doing at teachers.ab.ca thank you all for being a part of this round table thank you Coming up in one minute, uh, we're going to get to our Friday tradition. That is the flamethrower presented by our friends at uh, the DQs of Northwest Edmonton Insurance Park. And you'll never guess what. uh, There's a singular theme again this week to the flamethrower. That's coming up. But first, I want to remind you that our friends at California Closets are speaking right now to those of you who are uh, making promises to yourselves. You did it at the end of December, you did at the beginning of January to get organized, to get decluttered. You promised yourselves that you would take action on that, but, but you haven't done it quite yet. Well, I got good news for you. You can get a free design consultation right now at californiaclosets.ca. They can talk to you about work they can do in your bedroom, your workspaces, your living area, your garage, storage rooms. There's even a podcast on good design. How cool is that? It's custom closets, systems, and solutions for the entire home. That's what they do better than anybody else. Custom designed to fit your space and to fit your budget. It's California Closets. And if you're thinking, well, you know what, we are going to improve our space this spring, this summer, and it's going to be outdoors, Eden Landscaping wants to remind you that uh, for a lot of reasons, you want to get those design conversations started right now. Their design teams are working hard to get those plans in place so when that ground thaws when the snow is gone their teams can get right to work bringing your outdoor space to life you know sometimes supply chain complications means that it takes longer than you might expect to get those unique construction materials that beautiful stone maybe that certain type of wood you're looking for so they want to get going as quickly as they possibly can you can check out their portfolio see some of the projects they've done learn a little bit more about what they do by getting Onto their website, landscapeedmonton.ca. That's Eden Landscaping. Every Friday, that is every Friday, every Friday here on the show, courtesy of our friends at the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. That's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and baseline road we give you a chance to to basically fire up your flamethrower right we give you a chance to, to get your hot takes out to the audience the thousands of people that need to hear it so right now it's time to bring the heat And we want to hear it. We're grateful. These are all emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com. It's the flamethrower. And we kick it off with this one from Steven, who says, Jespo, I am of the belief that the premier, Daniel Smith, has timed the release of the current parental rights conversation as part of a strategy for the NDP to light its hair on fire and put a more beatable leader in place. Now, Steve says, I'm not going to get into my personal thoughts on these issues, but I'm watching the NDP and their supporters take the bait Hard, hook, line, and maybe sinker. That from Stephen. I would agree with you, Stephen. This is something that everybody's going to expect NDP leadership candidates to chime in on. Uh, by the way, we'll have a leadership announcement next week right here on Real Talk. This one from Angela who says, Johnny, can you load up that picture? Angela says, Ryan, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, and these are the words glaringly missing from. This picture, everybody, on the podcast. We're talking about that photo of Daniel Smith sipping a can of Canada Dry out of a straw. You know, the whole thing going on with the single-use bylaw down in Calgary and all that jazz, Angela says. You know what's missing from this picture? Class, maturity, grace, humility, poise, and most importantly, good judgment. From the person leading this province, I have just... Three words, says Angela. Raise the bar. I like that. Nice little reference to what Jason Kenney promised he was going to do when he was elected. You remember that? This from Ron, who says, I am frustrated. I'm befuddled by the province's decision to single out LGBTQ2S plus kids for no other reason than to appeal to a misinformed, bigoted, ignorant group of parents. The decision's drawing criticism and condemnation from across the country. And it bothers me that instead of focusing on other more important issues, the government's giving all well-meaning Albertans a bad reputation. These kids deserve to feel safe and comfortable in our schools. I've got a close friend I've known since before they came out. Had these rules been introduced when I and they were in school together, they likely would have been unable to transition. Yes, the provincial government can focus on more than one issue, but I can't really understand how or why this policy is a priority over, I don't know, affordable housing, cost of living. It serves as a distraction from the government's own failures. A premier and her government are an embarrassment, not just to well-meaning Albertans, but to Canadians. Three more years of this bullshit, man, says Ron. I love this province and I will until the day I die. I'll go to bat for it and defend it with every fiber of my being. But I can't defend the indefensible and the unnecessary state-sponsored bullying of vulnerable kids. Keep on keeping on. That from Ron. We promise we will. How about this one from Crystal, who says there's a hundred things wrong with Daniel Smith's new policy, but as a teacher, I'm just going to address the ones affecting kids in school. First of all, how in the world do conservatives justify an opt-in policy for sexual health education and gross big government involvement in matters of sexual health curricula in the absence of consistent and informed sex ed from parents? You know, a lot of off, a lot of awful parents, you know, an awful lot of parents do not have conversations about body parts and consent and reproduction and birth control and STI protection. Now kids are going to get their sex ed from the internet and their ignorant peers without adult input? I mean, how do parents opt in? How many parents will miss the memo? How many kids will miss informed instruction because of this stupid policy? Oh yeah, let's increase sexual activity and curiosity without information, shall we? And watch the teen pregnancy and abortion rates and rates of STIs rise. Great job, everybody. Crystal says this could not be a more foolish, reckless, backward policy. The entire province should be freaking out over this. Now, I have words, she says, nasty swear words for every aspect of this policy. But I'll start there. That's from Crystal. And this one from Kyle, but of a different direction, who says, something I've noticed, Ryan, since I started tuning into Real Talk, is how self-entitled your liberal guests and audience members are. They can't blame anybody or anybody else for their situation other than the UCP. Like, People are homeless, must be the UCP. People are addicted to drugs, it's the fucking UCP. It's too cold in the winter, Danielle Smith must have left the air conditioning on. You got cut off in traffic by a truck, the UCP, and take back Alberta. I think some women in your live chat blame the UCP. Oh, I'm not going to read that part. He says, maybe that's... (laughs) Okay, never mind. He says, everybody likes to shit on the UCP and the ways that they're going to try to fix things. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of the stuff they do, I don't agree with, but at least I'm not a partisan hack blindsided by blue is bad. Bad. I went to some Alberta NDP town halls on the pension plan stuff, and some people there were so old, I think they went to Woodstock. What's wrong with fucking Woodstock? Anyway, he says, the only person there that was under 35 besides me was an Alberta NDP plant and a baby. He says, I asked many people there because I wanted to hear their take. You think they had opinions based on CPP versus APP? He says, no, it was like Daniel Smith's trying to take my money, and I don't like her. He says, you're going to be long dead before the benefits of APP affect Alberta anyway. And now the rapid fire round. He says, are you an activist journalist that gets the zappy zap and arrested because you entered a restricted area by police? You deserved it. He's talking about Brandy Morin. He says, let's set up the encampment on your yard. Or are you a nimby schmuck? Are you unable to use your critical thinking hat instead of the UCP? Stay mad, everybody, says Kyle. You think people that have alternative opinions are automatically trolls and should be banned from speaking? You're the problem with today's political discourse. And if you think parents don't have rights, and this is going to be some sort of a slippery slope where the UCP tax abortion, he says, A, abortion's federal, and B, Alberta fully covers abortions and some drugs, and C, if you're so worried about abortion, why don't the liberals just make it a law instead of fear-mongering and bringing stateside issues up here? Well, because it happens all the time, Kyle. That's why. He says, might I add, it's funny how with like trans issues and women's issues, it's like if it doesn't affect you, you shouldn't have a say. Well, if that's the case, I'll take my guns back, because a lot of people who haven't even touched a gun somehow think that they should be able to touch mine. He says, that said, if I see you out, Ryan or Johnny, I'll buy you beers. And if you hear this and you're offended, stay mad, everybody. I hope you find a cure for the UCP owning your headspace. 24-7. 24-7. That from Kyle to talk at ryanjesperson.com. You can send us your flamethrower 24-7. Make sure you put flamethrower in the subject line of the email. It's proudly presented every Friday by our friends at the DQs of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. we got a banger lineup of shows for you next week. In the meantime, stay safe out there, everybody. We will see you tomorrow. That's Saturday, February 3rd at Larry Alexiuk Field in St. Albert for the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic Stay safe and keep it classy.
1: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive Producer Josh Dunford. Technical Producer John Hicks. General Manager Katie Cook Chivers. Account Coordinator Lawrence Derlego. Human Resources Lena Shepherd. Website Design Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Harry Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supreme Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Warren, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan.